the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. And I want to start by thanking everyone who's been watching our videos, including the latest on solar output. And everyone who's been supporting us. And here, I want to mention again, we try to thank you all, but please forgive us if we forget. And if you contribute via e-transfer, we don't write to you because we don't get your contact information. It doesn't mean we don't appreciate it. Now, on to the Feast of Famine. Because, as you know, there's nothing climate change cannot do, including turn plenty into want while leaving it plenty. As we mentioned recently, Australia's central bank is obsessed with climate change, even though agriculture there is booming, as it is in most of the world, despite all these predictions of drought, floods, and famine. But that phenomenon didn't stop the New York Times climate forward from cautioning that, quote, the world faces a frightening hunger crisis, climate change makes it worse, end quote. And if you're thinking there's something upside down here, you're not wrong. Because, you see, they say, quote, hunger is a problem of plenty, not scarcity in modern times. We produce more food than we eat, end quote. Well, you might be tempted to say that sure beats the old kind of hunger problem and sounds like an advertisement for this famous global warming. But there's always a dark cloud somewhere in any silver lining these people spot. They concede that, quote, global food production has gone up. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization, the production of primary crops, mainly sugarcane, maize, wheat, and rice, expanded by 52% between 2000 and 2020, reaching a record 9.3 billion metric tons in 2019, end quote. Okay, cool. Global greening. But no, because, quote, the number of undernourished people has been rising since 2015, reversing a decade-long decline. That rise has been driven mainly by conflict, but the coronavirus pandemic and supply chain snags sharply accelerated the trend. Food prices shot up, and with them hunger. Then the Russian invasion of Ukraine sent food and fertilizer prices soaring, end quote. Okay, not cool. But what has climate to do with any of it? Well, duh. Quote, climate change looms in the background of all this. Hotter days and nights, plus extreme floods and droughts, can drive down yields in some places, block the transport of food, make staple grains less nutritious, end quote. Yeah, can. Might. Could. So doom looms, feast is famine, war is peace, and so on. As in Australian energy markets. And here, we cannot resist, in fact, we're not even trying to resist, quoting economist Rudy Dornbush's epic warning that, quote, in economics... Things take longer to happen than you think they will, and then they happen faster than you thought they could, end quote. And as a result of that maxim, the energy crisis is now overwhelming Australian policymakers. It's getting inside their decision-making loop. So what do they do? Why, they shut down the price signals that just might lead the private sector to fix the problem. Then they force suppliers to produce energy at a loss anyway, and then they wonder why the shortage keeps getting worse. As a classic headline in the state press put it, quote, Australian energy market operator suspends spot market for wholesale electricity to ensure reliability and avoid blackouts, end quote. But as usual, the purposes for which a policy is implemented can be very different from the function it actually performs. What they're doing is they're eating the seed corn, and that's a plan that invariably ends in famine for reasons that you'd swear were obvious, but evidently are not. In this week's newsletter, we also remind readers that whenever there's a heat wave, it's confidently put down to global warming. Even if there's been no global warming in the last seven years, which there hasn't. But 
when a news outlet blurts out an inconvenient truth like, quote, where in the world is the summer heat, end quote, you just know what's coming. It's merely weather. In this case, quote, blame the jet stream, end quote. Now, if you're thinking, hang on, isn't the United States having a record-setting heat wave? Well, look again, and not at the newspapers. Instead, look at this color-coded map of the United States, which shows the decade in which each state set its all-time heat record. It sure doesn't look the way unwary consumers of mainstream media might expect it to, since the most common color is 1930s purple. Now, in some other parts of the world, where it's now the beginning of winter rather than summer, they're getting extraordinary cold, from Australia to Argentina. But it's just weather, of course. <laughs> At one point, MSN is reduced to warning that it's getting hotter in the Middle East sort of day by day as spring gives way to summer. Gosh, really? And now, a word from our sponsor. And yes, it's still you. And we want to thank all the people who've responded to our appeals by making a one-time or monthly pledge. For the rest of you, I really want to emphasize, for us to produce the videos, for us to produce the newsletters, and keep injecting sanity into the climate debate, what we need is for one in six of our YouTube subscribers to click here and make a pledge of $2 a month, $3 a month, $5 a month. That's what it's going to take to sustain our efforts for as long as they're needed. So click here, cup of coffee a month, that'll keep us in business. And now, back to me. And what about the fact that the Pacific Northwest of the United States, which along with adjacent bits of Canada saw some anomalous heat last year, has just seen its coldest April since satellite records began, according to Cliff Mass, who added, quote, and now the depressing part, May is also turning out to be cool and wet, end quote. But you know what? It's not depressing, unless you actually want there to be a global warming crisis. Like, uh, the U.S. Navy whose secretary has declared that, quote, I chose climate as a focal point for my tenure as secretary, and, quote, instead of some silly side issue like being able to defeat America's enemies in a battle at sea, while Joe Biden actually boasts of using the Defense Production Act to make solar panels. In militaristic language about arsenal and mobilized and deployment, that takes remarkably little notice of constitutional language like separation of powers. Meanwhile, in the U.S. Navy report Climate Action 2030, complete with pictures of forest fires and floods, neither of which seem hugely relevant to ships, the Secretary's opening screed blasts away with everything he's got. Quote, Climate change is one of the most destabilizing forces of our time, exacerbating our other national security concerns and posing serious readiness challenges. Our naval forces, the United States Navy and Marine Corps, are in the crosshairs of the climate crisis. The threat increases instability and demands on our forces while simultaneously impacting our capacity to respond to those demands, end quote. Uh, the Navy surely understands that if sea levels rise, their ships go up with it, right? Ready, I, whatever. Quote, if we do not act as sea levels rise, bases like Norfolk Naval Base and Marine Corps Recruit Depot Pirates Island will be severely tested in their ability to support their missions. If temperatures continue to rise, the oceans will get warmer, creating more destructive storms requiring our fleets and Marine Corps forces to increase their operational tempo to respond, end quote. But where did the vaunted naval intelligence get the idea that more or worse storms are on their way? After all, the IPCC recently concluded, quote, in the United States, it is indicated that there is no significant increase in convective storms and hail and severe thunderstorms, end quote. Never you mind, lubber. Quote, we will see more extreme heat events, such as the record-setting heat waves in the normally temperate Pacific Northwest and the expanse of fires and unprecedented droughts in the West, end quote. Which concerns the Navy how? Uh, 
Ah, you see, quote, these events mean more black flag days with temperatures at or above 90 degrees Fahrenheit, requiring strenuous activity, including mission essential training, to be curtailed because it is not safe. It means strain on the grid as people compete for energy to cool off, making mission and our people vulnerable to an outage, end quote. Here we thought your ships had their own power plants, but never mind. Quote, if temperatures continue to rise and disease develops and spreads, our hospital ships and medical personnel will be called on to deploy more in support of nations in need. For these reasons, and so many others integral to our mission, the Department of Navy will take on the urgency of the climate crisis and harness our power to make change as an environmental leader and a market driver. For the DON, bold climate action is a mission imperative. In this decisive decade, we have no other alternative, end quote. Yeah, you do. You could consider that D-Day almost failed because of the worst storm in the English Channel in 40 years in the coolest part of the 20th century. It's just not true that warmer weather brings worse weather. You could also consider that the Big Blue Fleet operated throughout the Pacific throughout the Second World War without much in the way of effective air conditioning and encountered some horrific weather along the way, including Halsey's Typhoon. And meanwhile, Canadian readers in particular might want to check out Frank Curry's book War at Sea, A Canadian Seaman on the North Atlantic, for descriptions of some winter weather that will turn your hair white, literally in the form of white mist. And everybody can consider that a significant rise in sea levels around Norfolk is, quote, mostly due to Virginia's sinking land, and it's causing major issues, end quote, according to sealevelrise.org. Sinking land, not climate change. Another thing to think about is that if Paris Island really does go under, you could perhaps move your recruiting station? The place is mostly swamped now anyway. Now, if you think the United States Navy switching to biofuels by 2050 will make the slightest difference in global temperature, then your computer model should be towed out to sea and used as target practice by the missile cruisers that the Navy is trying to decommission in hopes of being less ready to fight China than it once was. Speaking of which, the People's Liberation Army Navy which is the ugly name for the naval branch of what is oddly not a part of the government of China, but of its Communist Party, and is not just the largest private army in the world, but the largest army of any kind, anywhere, by a wide margin, does not place much emphasis on climate. For them, it's more about being able to fight and win a war anywhere in the world by 2050, while the U.S. Navy apparently now regards its main rival as being Greenpeace. It's not all bad news, though. Zeke Housefather, who we praised earlier this month for warning that some climate models are running way too hot, also recently said that it was a bad idea to terrify children with tales of unavoidable climate doom. And he then tweeted, quote, It's a bit eye-opening how many times I, a climate scientist, have been called a denier in the last 24 hours for having the temerity to say our children are not necessarily consigned to an apocalyptic hellscape of a future. Doomism is a disease and a self-fulfilling prophecy, end quote. And yeah, it is a disease. But it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy, except in the way that it leads to bad policy choices that create economic doom. And by the way, welcome to the Stop Using Denier to Silence Debate Club. Glad to have you with us. In the newsletter, we also point out that some other people don't seem to believe what they claim to believe about the climate crisis. For instance, National Geographic, which lately has gone from good, clean family fun and wonder at the world we live in to full bore, in both senses, woke, is now co-sponsoring, quote, a once-in-a-lifetime trip spanning ten iconic destinations across three continents, end quote, by private jet. 
Yes, that's right. You too can swan about with, quote, a top-notch team of experts and leading journalists, end quote, spewing carbon and nibbling delicacies while the peasants toil in the fields below, smaller than ants, invisible to the naked eye. I mean, let's face it, you're worth it. The promo says, quote, from the Pacific to the heart of the Silk Road to Scandinavia, you'll travel alongside archaeologists, editors, photographers, and entrepreneurs to gain unprecedented insight into the future of everything, end quote. Which is quite a bargain at just ah, $99,995. Well, starting at that price. But if you had to ask, you couldn't have afforded it anyway, right? That's why CDN by the Sea is forced to make virtual visits, even though we're going to rather less luxurious spots. Instead of asking why they don't just put this unprecedented insight into a book and sell it for $99.99, we dared click the Learn More button and landed on a page whose tab bar identifier starts revealing the, quote, luxury private jet around the world, end quote, then says, quote, gain unique perspectives on advances in science and technology from urban design to climate change, end quote. Yeah, by helping cause it to hear them tell it. As for switching to a plant-based diet and all that guff, quote, we stay in world-class or best available hotels throughout the expedition, end quote. After all, when you're saving the planet, what's a bit of trashing it? You know, like Canada's Prime Minister flying from Ottawa to Winnipeg and back on Earth Day. In the newsletter, we also note that, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, the mercury is rising and with it the prospect of heat waves. But luckily, unless you're bent on sowing panic, while there's some evidence of more heat waves since the 1960s, though still fewer compared to the 1930s, the latest evidence shows, for the US at least, that death rates due to heat waves have fallen steadily since the mid 1970s. It's called mitigation or something. Oh, and if you're under 45, there's no statistical risk at all. Speaking of those virtual visits, CDN by the Sea this week swooped digitally to the westernmost municipality in Alaska. It's so far west it would be in tomorrow if it weren't for a jog in the international dateline. And of course, like all little island settlements, it must contend with the horror of rising sea levels. Or would have to if they were rising. Instead, at Adak, Alaska, they're falling about 2 millimeters a year, which means in 487 years, it'll be a meter lower than it is now. So it's still going to take a while to reopen the land bridge across the Bering Strait, and unfortunately when it does, there won't be woolly mammoths. But it would be cool to be able to snowmobile to Siberia, and you will still need a snowmobile. Finally, from the CO2Science.org archive, 2,000 years of Chinese climate history show um, no real change in heat waves, just natural variability. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I know an empty plate from a full one and a warship from a ship of fools.